We are in Matthew, and we're continuing our series by looking at Matthew chapter 13 this evening. We're going to read Matthew 13, verses 1 through to 23, the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some feed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much good soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their ears and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes, and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. And we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you'd help us to understand what you are saying to us through it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Later on in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 19, we meet a rich young man, sometimes referred to as the rich young ruler. He asks a good question of Jesus' teacher. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A short discussion follows regarding what the law says, and this is a standard that the young man feels he has met. And so Jesus says to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Matthew records for us that when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. All through Matthew, we can find similar examples of the authentic gospel going out and being met with responses we might not necessarily want to see or might not necessarily expect. We've seen that all too clearly these last couple of weeks, haven't we? Um, As we meet someone on the one hand to say yes to that invitation to come and follow, those who say no, and those who at the other end of no say we want to kill Jesus, We we want nothing more to do with him. These are real responses, real reactions from real people And it's a reality that we may know all too well ourselves. One of the greatest challenges for the Christian in their walk with God, I think, is when we see the same reactions described in our parable here in Matthew 13 played out in the lives of people we know and love and care for. A year or so ago, I was walking with a close friend just down the road from here, on my way back from Waitrose, as is my wont. Um, Someone who had actually grown up across the road at the old schoolhouse going to church there, and a friend from, from university, we used to go to the Christian Union together, and she confessed to me, somewhat sheepishly, it had been coming for some time, that she had given up on being a Christian. She thought really hard about it, and I don't doubt that she had. She's one of the brightest people I know. But she come down on the side that following Jesus wasn't for her. It's not intellectually satisfying. It isn't way upright. Her story is the stuff of thorns and shallow roots. About a month ago, I attended the baptism of a young guy who has come to SU camp with me for a number of years. And he's great. I care a great deal for him. But who, about a year and a, about a, year and a half ago, though I'm not entirely sure that he knew it, wasn't in a good place with the Lord at all, which broke my heart and drove me to tears because it was really difficult to see someone slipping away. Thorns, shallow roots, a scorching sun. And I prayed a great deal for weed killer and compost. And the Lord applied both in generous measure. And there's now deep roots, good soil. But why him? Why him? Why him and not her? And is this really what the kingdom of God looks like? The gospel, just words, going out and being responded to, doesn't seem very powerful. Sometimes yielding fruit, like with my young friend. Sometimes yielding nothing in the end, like with my friend from university. And that feels weak. Sometimes taking time, as long as it takes for a seed to germinate and grow and flourish. Sometimes taking no time at all as fast as a bird swooping down on a stray seed. And that feels hard. 
Yet, the purpose of the parable that Jesus tells us here is very much to encourage us. All the way through Matthew's gospel, Jesus is training up his disciples for the business of taking the gospel out from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. That's the point this narrative is always moving towards. That's the great commission at the close of Matthew's account. And to that end, we get this training seminar from Jesus to his disciples here in Matthew 13. This is the start of a section in Matthew of seven parables, each in some way being used by Jesus to teach those listening about the kingdom of God, that in many ways it does appear weak, that it is at work, but in a steady way, that often the work of the kingdom is hidden, but powerful, that the words of the kingdom will spark division, that the good news of the kingdom is spreading, that it's worth telling others about. And all of this is going to prepare the disciples for sharing the gospel and us too as we respond to that great charge from the Lord Jesus to join in with his work. In particular, in our section this evening, Jesus wants us to see that the authentic gospel of the kingdom of God is responded to in different ways. And grasping this point is going to help us to stay the course, keeping to the king's strategy when perhaps it feels as though what we have to share just isn't working, or at least not in the way that we would like it to. And that brings us to the shores of Lake Galilee, where in verse 1, Jesus has left his Airbnb, he's left where he's staying, and crowds are flocking to hear what he has to say. In fact, there are so many people that there's no more room left on the beach and Jesus has to get into a boat. And he's bobbing away along with the disciples and staring out at this crowd. And no doubt the disciples are thinking, great, here's an opportunity. What an opportunity. Let's rerun some of that earlier material, some of those earlier talks, which seem to go down so well, encouraging stuff. Another sermon on, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yet as Jesus begins to teach, it's not a sermon he gives, but a parable he tells. A sower went out to sow seed on path, swallowed up, seed on rocks, scorched, seed amongst thorns, choked, seed on good soil, growth, harvest. Listen to me. He who has ears, let him hear. Listen Now, this all leaves the disciples feeling somewhat perplexed and confused. They don't understand the purpose of the parables. And so, verse 10, they ask Jesus, Why are you speaking to the crowds in this way? Why are you telling parables? Jesus responds, verses 12 and 13, I'm speaking in parables to sift the hearers. My words are acting in judgment. He then goes on to quote Isaiah, saying that he's teaching like this so that those listening will indeed hear, but never understand and see, but never perceive. Those are uncomfortable words in some ways, aren't they? Those are controversial words. They certainly contradict a view of parables as moralizing stories told with picturesque imagery in order to aid a simple hearer. On the contrary, what Jesus says he's doing is that he's speaking in parables not to make it easier for people to understand, 
but in fact to make it harder. Hearing, but never understanding. Seeing, but never perceiving. Now why is that? Why is that? Jesus wants the crowds who have gathered to hear him and he, to hear and understand um, that well, he knows that they are not all in his wavelength when it comes to understanding who the kingdom of God is all about. Some of them have probably come seeking a nationalist revolutionary, someone who's going to overthrow the Roman government. Some have probably come seeking more awe-inspiring miracles, and such as those were incapable of comprehending the real kingdom of God, which Jesus has brought because their minds are prejudicially closed against it. And so Jesus uses these parables as a filter to identify those who are clearly, genuinely open to the truth. Perhaps even just a tiny minority in the crowd that day. Vast numbers possibly leaving disappointed by this storyteller some grasping the truths of what Jesus has to say and leaving hungry for more, others leaving wanting nothing more to do with him. Behind the sifting process is a solemn message of a serious truth that only some who hear his words are ultimately blessed by him. That's what Jesus says in verses 12, 16, 17. Many are evangelized, yet not all are saved. Some respond in a promising way, but the path of discipleship proves too demanding. Jesus speaks like this with sharp, incisive wisdom because he has not come to flatter the crowds with a message that they can all get behind and find to be palatable. No, he's come to save them. That's why he sticks to the authentic, offensive gospel. He knows all too well that his authentic message of the kingdom of God will be responded to in different ways. And that's why, no doubt, in verse 9, he says, listen, listen to me. Not all of you want to hear this. Not all of you want to hear what I have to say, but I will not change my message. I will not sow a less offensive seed. I know, verse 12, some fall away, yet for those who accept it, there will be a rich inheritance. Listen to me. It's worth noting here, I think, that what Jesus says by way of this parable is is nothing new. This section of Matthew is bookended by rejection. The Pharisees at one end, we thought about that the last couple of weeks. And at the other end of this section of Matthew, starting in verse 53, we see Jesus being rejected by those in his hometown, his neighbours, people he's grown up with, who themselves now want nothing more to do with him. Rejection bookending this little section. And so what Jesus teaches here in chapter 13 is very much building on chapter 12, illustrating an already existing pattern of acceptance and rejection. Jesus is not suddenly choosing to cover up or hide his message in the language of a parable. Instead, he's teaching in a manner that reflects the pre-existing nature and reality of the hearts of those he is teaching to. And what do those hearts look like? Hearts which will reject and hearts which will accept. And that's where we arrive in verses 18 through to 23, where Jesus goes on to explain his parables to the disciples. 
The sower, he says, verse 19, is sowing the word of God. And that is always what kingdom work looks like when it's done in the king's way. The saving words of God going out, unimpressive, perhaps weak in appearance, maybe, but full of power because God's words are being allowed to do God's work. The language so often of doing kingdom work or being kingdom community or building God's kingdom now can come with a great deal of unhelpful clutter surrounding it. What we see here in the text this evening is that the work of kingdom simply looks like the words of kingdom being sown in people's hearts. And that's it. That's it. Beautifully simple. The weakest of all things, a word. And that's all it takes to start the kingdom in the heart of someone. That's the model that Jesus gives us. That's always what kingdom work looks like. And the word that's sown is responded to in different ways. Sometimes it is sown in hearts which hear, but are shut, verse 19. Perhaps people who have been trampled too hard, perhaps those who are simply not interested or think anything to do with the Lord Jesus and following him is on a par with intellectual suicide. And the evil work, the evil one makes quick work of that seed. Sometimes it is sown in hearts which respond immediately and full of joy. There is initial enthusiasm, the eager completer of a Christianity Explored course, perhaps, the excited SU camper who returns home after a week of being plugged into the Bible. The child or young person or student even who has grown up around the framework of creche and then Sunday club and then youth church and then CCY. But along comes sickness, an unanswered prayer, or people challenging what they think. Do you really believe that? Is that right? Is it true? Can you reason that? And then comes collapse. The sun comes out, and the seed with no root is scorched, and it falls away. And that is very hard to see and watch happen. Still other seed falls on thorny ground. Here the word is heard, but worry or obsession creep in. Work, life, family, relationships, whatever it is, other things quickly become more important. Thorns choke, and there is no fruit from that seed. Now, all of these reactions, despite their diversity, are really very much the same. There's no fruit. That's the common denominator. And Jesus wants us to know that as we engage in his work, as his ambassadors, we will see all of these reactions. But there is a seed which falls on good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. And from that seed, there is an abundant harvest. We may not see evidence of that now. It may not be until eternity. But there will be a harvest. People listen and respond in different ways when the authentic gospel is preached. And that can leave us with many questions. It can be hard to grasp when we see the gospel dividing in this way. When we see Jesus' words of of judgment, um, Jesus acting with his words in judgment against a whole manner of people who choose to listen and ignore. But we must trust. We must trust the Lord of the harvest. 
We must have confidence that he knows what he's doing. He knows who are his. We must trust that he is gracious and loving enough to allow four different responses. So, keep sowing the offensive seed. It's what Jesus did. Even as he faced rejection on many fronts, stick to the same strategy. It's what Jesus did. Knowing that there will be a harvest, one which will be vast and one which will be abundant. I was thinking as I was reading through the text and wondering whether it might have been this parable which kept the apostles going as they faced very different reactions to the gospel in Acts and onwards. What would Peter have thought, I wondered, as he sat imprisoned for the gospel, were he not to have heard the words of this parable? After all, the same message which led to a multitude of conversions at Pentecost now has him sitting in chains in prison. Peter was able to endure hardship and all kinds of suffering because he knew, he knew that the authentic gospel produced different reactions. He stuck to what he had been taught by the Lord Jesus because he knew that the rejection he witnessed and the imprisonment that he was going through was evidence of seeds being sown and sifting taking place. This is a normal pattern of gospel ministry. Likewise with Paul, the final verses of his second letter to Timothy penned when Paul was also imprisoned for the gospel make for really sobering reading. Names of people who stand in opposition to him and his message. Names of people who no longer want to be associated with him. People who have abandoned the gospel. People who don't want to risk an association with Paul because of the likelihood that they too might be imprisoned. Thorns, scorching sun, shallow roots. Yet Paul stays the course, and that was his message to Timothy, stay the course. And keep sowing the offensive seed. Because Paul knew that the different reactions, which he no doubt felt ever so keenly, were the pattern of authentic gospel ministry. This is what, this is what Jesus said it would be like. But there will be a harvest, be assured, so stick with it. I think if we don't grasp the truth of this parable, then three things will happen. Firstly, we will become discouraged. What is already very difficult to process where friends, loved ones, colleagues, family members, young people from youth groups and camps, those who have perhaps even mentored us spiritually further along the road than us, gradually fall away. That's hard to see. And that will be felt all the more acutely where we don't understand this parable because we will have no framework or box to put the rejection in. It won't match with anything that we know. Secondly, we may be tempted to alter the message. We could be forgiven for thinking that the authentic gospel, whilst authentic, is perhaps not the most effective. It's perhaps on a par with a poor pricing strategy on a task during the apprentice. The authentic gospel isn't making the inroads that you hoped it would. So change it. Change the strategy. Or pile on the clutter. Hide it away under something more palatable or more spiritual. Yet 
This parable shows us that mixed responses are evidence of the gospel at work. If the response is positive all the time, then this parable tells us that something's actually not right. Thirdly, we will burn ourselves out because we will observe these negative reactions, become discouraged, and then take it upon ourselves to apply the weed killer, put in the raised bed, or chase away the pigeons. We will lack confidence in Jesus' model of kingdom growth, where things can be slow, unseen, and where the message divides. We'll fail to trust the Lord of the harvest and then take it upon ourselves to do his work. However, if we do grasp this parable, then three things will happen. Firstly, we will be encouraged because the differing reactions we see to the authentic gospel will not surprise us. This is what Jesus said would happen, or stronger, this is what Jesus himself knew. Secondly, we will stay the course and stick to the authentic gospel message because we know to expect different responses to it. We won't distrust the teaching of Jesus because there are differing reactions. Rather, we will understand that the differing reactions are what makes the teaching real. So stay the course. Thirdly, we will trust the work of the Lord of the harvest, knowing that all these different reactions are part of his grace, his plan, his care, that he knows each and all of the responses that we come up against. He's never surprised. He's never taken aback. We will trust him to bring home the vast harvest that he has promised will come. I have been guilty of wondering as I've explained the gospel on an issue holiday or in any other context for the umpteenth time of thinking, is what I'm doing here wasteful? Is it wasteful, this business of standing up in front of a gathered crowd of people, of children, teenagers, and throwing the gospel out there, knowing that some of what I'm teaching and saying is simply going to perish? In fact, the parable says that much of it will. Is it wasteful when we pray for particular people and for opportunities to share the gospel, and they come up and we miss them, and we pray more, then we fumble it again, perhaps that's just me, and so we pray more, And then we seize the opportunity, we hold out the authentic gospel, and then there's no light bulb moment. No immediate growth. Where colleagues we've sat to, we've spoken to for years and sat beside for years in the office, we invite them along to Christmas things, and they come, and then they come again the next year, but there's no response. Where kids in our Sunday club class don't respond, where students we're running lunch bars for don't respond, where the person we're reading Uncover With doesn't respond. Is it wasteful? Is it wasteful throwing out seed like that which will simply perish? No, it's, it's never wasteful. The word goes out to everyone. That's what Jesus did that day, standing in the boat, looking out on the shore, a vast crowd before him. The word goes out to everyone and sharing the word with those who are not going to respond to it is never a waste of time because you are giving hearts the opportunity to respond to life-saving words. And the word, as it goes out, is revealing the state of the heart. And that's never a wasteful thing. Each time Jesus teaches, 
each time we share the authentic gospel and that invitation to come, to follow, that is never wasteful because that is exactly what the king himself does. That's his strategy. An offer of life in all its fullness, of restored relationship with God, of sin dealt with completely by the cross, holding out that redemptive work of Christ and the joy it brings, revealing whether hearts are open to receive or whether they are in fact hardened. That is never a wasteful business because it is the business of the king. And that's why we should never grow tired or weary of doing it. And so we have a sower who went out to sow. Some seed fell on bad ground, which yielded no fruit. The gospel divides, and it provokes different reactions. This is the normal pattern where the authentic gospel is taught. Therefore, don't be discouraged. Stay the course. Keep to the king's strategy and sow the offensive seed. A sower went out to sow, and some seed fell on good ground, and the crop was plentiful. It is the authentic gospel going out which leads to the abundant harvest. So don't be discouraged. Stay the course. Keep to the king's strategy and expect different responses. It's a hallmark of the gospel at work. A gospel which promises that one day the Lord of the harvest will bring his harvest home. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you again this evening that we have an authentic gospel to share. But we know all too keenly in our own lives, Lord, that just as on the shore in Galilee all those years ago, that authentic gospel will produce different reactions. We think now, Lord, of many who have heard your word, but in whose hearts there seems to be little or no response or who perhaps have rejected it outright. We pray for them, Lord, and ask for your mercy and for your help by your Holy Spirit, for them to understand for themselves the authentic gospel. (coughs) Father, we thank you that all through your words you show yourself to be trustworthy and true and good all the time. We thank you, Lord, then, that we can trust you for the different responses that we see in our own lives. Thank you, Lord, that you will one day bring your harvest home and that in that harvest all will be there who you want to be there. We thank you, Lord, for that truth. We pray, Lord, that as we hold out the authentic gospel in our own context this week and in the months ahead, You would help us to trust you for the different reactions we will see. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.